We are continuing our series in John. We're going to do something slightly different today. Usually I like to focus on a passage and just hear what that passage is saying to us without bringing in a lot of stuff from other places. But because the resurrection of Jesus is so important, I've decided to give a little bit more space to it. Next week we will focus in on the words that John uses, but today I would like to bring in some of Paul as well and discuss the subject, why the resurrection is so important. And my goal is to get why understanding what happened at the resurrection is so important. So I have three points for this. The first is the resurrection of Jesus was not simply coming back to life. This is critical. Not simply coming back to life, but the start of a new kind of humanity and even, you could say, a new kind of reality. And then we're going to look at this new kind of human and how it's already begun in us and then we're going to look at what it means to live out this new identity. Traditionally, the, the resurrection has been given second place to Jesus' death on the cross. And, you know, just to prove, well, he, he, he rose again, you know, and so it, like he's still alive and so it's necessary to have the resurrection in there. But it is the very foundation of our new existence. The theologian John Murray has said that one of the main sources of weaknesses among Christians is the failure to understand the implications of this truth. So it's a pretty important subject. So the first thing I'd like to look at is the words in John and particularly look at what it's saying about Jesus' new body that he has. So let's look at this passage here in John chapter 20. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter set out with the other disciple, heading for the tomb. The two disciples were running together, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the strips of linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter who'd been following him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen cloth lying there and the face cloth which had been around Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth but folded in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who'd reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. 
I'm going to spend more time looking at the text next week, but what I particularly wanted to draw our attention to was um, something that's very different about this resurrection than Lazarus being raised from the dead. Can you, uh, can you n- notice what was different? Something about when Lazarus was raised and what he looked like compared with Jesus? How did Lazarus appear? Well, you've probably thought of it. He came out with all the grave clothes on, but Jesus appeared to have just risen up through these clothes. He didn't even need to like, take them off. He just went through them, and they were, they were no impediment to him. And so Jesus has this new body. Um, so he can pass through grave clothes, What else can Jesus pass through in this new body? Well, you've probably already thought of it, but uh, we we can look on to John 20 later on in the chapter. Here's just a couple of verses from there. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. So here we have a new body that somehow is very different because in physical things are no impediment to it. He can just appear there in the room. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. So it appears that you can actually touch him. Earlier on, we didn't read the passage, but Mary Magdalene seems to be clinging to Jesus' feet. And so you can touch him. So there's a physicality, but it's a very different kind of physicality. And then Thomas responds, My Lord and my God. So here we have this new body that could be touched. And also we read in the other Gospels they could eat food. But... It's somehow different. Also, um, many times they didn't recognize him. The disciples on the road to Emmaus didn't recognize him. Um, Mary Magdalene didn't recognize him. Uh, And people have pondered about that, but I think the answer is actually very simple. Uh, Jesus would have been resurrected in the perfection of his youth and without, with no blemish. I expect when you get a resurrection body, you're going to hope to have one without any wrinkles, you know, in your <laughs> perfectly uh, how, you know, how you could be in your prime. And uh, so, you know, if you were to try and recognize somebody, I mean, can you recognize this guy? Well, okay, maybe he's not in his prime quite yet, but maybe here, can you recognize him? So, um, uh, yeah, okay, this is me, but if you met me on the street looking like this, you probably wouldn't recognize me because you know virtually no wrinkles maybe just a few there but virtually none and um, you know much much younger and so I my, I think it's quite simple that they, they didn't recognize Jesus because at least to start with maybe once they figured out oh yes yeah and I can see the resemblance now but he wouldn't have been like old and and, and weather-beaten so that although he was only 33 years old Somebody said to him, uh, you're not yet 50. So it's thought that Jesus could have looked older than 30. But anyway, he didn't look 
18. And so my, my, my suggestion then is that the new body is um, perfect, not just in its flawless, but it's perfect in no signs of aging on it. Um, anyway, those are the references in John. I now want to bring Paul into this discussion. And Paul has a very, very powerful um, presentation of what the resurrection means in 1 Corinthians 15. And uh, I'm going to read this now. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. He's just been talking about how different things, when they're when you plant them, grow up differently. And what you sow, something grows up according to what you sow. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. It comes up and it's very different to the seed that you sowed. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last man, the last Adam, became a life-giving spirit. The first man is from the earth, made of dust. Remember, Adam and Eve, Adam was, was made from the dust. The second man is from heaven. Like the one made of dust, so too are those made of dust. And like the one from heaven, so too those who are of heaven. And just as we've borne the image of the man of dust, let us also bear the image of the man of heaven. So this is really interesting, because what he's saying is that um, Adam was made of the stuff of this world. In other words, you know, atoms and molecules. But Jesus was made of something different. Jesus was actually made of spirit. Jesus was made of a new kind of material, the, the material of heaven. And so this is, this is critical because um, there's, uh, he belongs to a different reality, although he can appear in this reality. And I've put this in the table here, the two creations. The old creation, we have Adam, made of dust and perishable. The new creation, we have Christ, made of the spirit and imperishable. And so this new, this new substance that Jesus is made of is actually the stuff of God that he's made of. And the amazing thing is that our new bodies, our new creations are actually made from God of stuff that he's provided for us. Um, I think that uh, one of the most dramatic verses that we have that describes the resurrection of Jesus is in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18. It says, He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. I just love that expression, firstborn from the dead, because Jesus is like a new birth. It's like being born, but he's the first of a new humanity. A new kind of human. Jesus is the first. Born from the dead. And the other name, of course, this is his new creation. And I've, we've, we could have used this all the way through here because Jesus initiates the new creation in himself. And so uh, that was, that's my first point that I'm, I would like to make here. 
that the resurrection of Jesus was not simply coming back to life, but the start of a new kind of humanity and reality. The new reality is the new creation. And made of a different kind of stuff to the old. Made of imperishable stuff, not atoms and molecules destined to perish. Now we're going to look at how this new kind of human, this new humanity, has already begun in us. And then we'll finish by looking at living this out. So, uh, it turns out that for us, that this happens in two phases. It turns out that the new creation begins in our hearts the moment we're saved, but then we get part two in our new bodies when Jesus returns. Now this is interesting because this is not what the, the uh, believers in the time of Jesus were expecting. They were expecting a kingdom. They are expecting God to bring in a new kingdom. But they thought that everything would end and then everything would begin anew. But what Jesus has done was surprising because Jesus has actually begun the new before the old is ending. And so we get an overlap. We get uh, the new begun in an invisible way in our hearts, but the old is continuing and will continue until Jesus returns. Now Jesus, of course, got both parts of it. He got the new body as well as the new, the new insides. But we're going to go back to John now and we're going to see how this new two phases is taught in John. Um, born of the Spirit now, in John 3, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. In other words, that's the old creation. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Saying this, using the same language as Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 15 about being born of spirit. And uh, we can also look in 1 John, the epistle, and we see something very interesting here. In 1 John 4, we see, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. This is really interesting because it's, it's stronger language than adoption. We all know that one of the pictures of what happens to us as Christians is we're adopted into God's family. But actually, there's a deeper reality than that. The deeper reality is we're actually born of God. We actually become his, his born children. In a, in, a, in a way that means we inherit his DNA, that we actually have love because we're inheriting it from God, which is amazing. And so here it's saying that this, this new resurrection life that comes in to us actually is the life of God and we become his children at this new point. Hopefully you're beginning to see why this is so important because this is how we become his children. It's through the resurrection happening in our hearts as we're born of the Spirit. Going back to Paul, we see the words in Galatians 5 that describe what it's like to have this new life of God in us, but still have the old at the same time. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, 
and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And so here Paul is describing these two things within us, and I'll come back to this in just one moment. So that was the second part. We began by looking at how Jesus' resurrection was not simply coming back to life, but a new kind of humanity. And then we saw that this new life has already begun in us. And now we're going to see how we can live out this new identity. And as I said, Paul uses the language of spirit and flesh inside us fighting. The part of us that's new, that's renewed by the spirit, and the um, the flesh, which is the old, the part that's derived from our old humanity in us. And uh, we just looked at that verse where he describes that um, desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit, how these two parts of us, and this is the new creation, alive in us. So, if we're going to look at how we live this out, it's partly by noticing what's going on, by noticing that there is a part of us that wants to do something new and a part of us that wants to go back to the old way and to, and to listen to the new part. We have a choice, which are we going to follow? We need to notice the new part. Because as it says in the verse in the middle there from 1 John 4 verse 7, if we have God's life in us, there will be an impulse to love that comes up in us. And our responsibility is to notice that part of us and to give that preference, to privilege the new, to privilege the life of God and the urges that come from that new life within us. And so we can respond to the resurrection life of Jesus in us by noticing it and privileging it over the old. This is very well put in Colossians chapter 3, which is just a very, puts this very, very powerfully. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Describe perfectly there the tension that we have of the new life within us which has been given a death blow by Jesus. We don't have to listen to it. It's on its way out. Waiting for the time we will get the complete new creation, resurrection body when Jesus returns. But in this meantime, we are putting to death the urges of the old and privileging the new life that is within us. And... I'm going to end by reading one of the most encouraging verses that speaks to this topic. 
and it's in Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to be reading verses 18 through 20. I just love these verses. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, and this is Paul's prayer, I've missed the beginning of, but he's praying for them. Praying that having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. I'm just laughing then in joy because Paul is preaching my message for me. If I wanted one, one uh, set of verses or, or verse to, to stand behind this message, this couldn't be better because he's saying, you know, it's the resurrection that is the power of the Spirit, the power of God that's demonstrated in us. And what he's praying here is that we would know this and we would be able to live in this new power. And so I think my, if I'm going to sum this up in one thing for you, one thing for you is you don't have to live in the old way. You have the immeasurable greatness of the power that raised Jesus from the dead accessible to you and part of the trouble is we're not aware of what we have we don't realize what we have imagine that um you 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 didn't you didn't know what a car was you just saw this this thing outside and you you didn't know that what cars could do and you thought it was some kind of a shelter and so when it was bad weather, you'd go and you'd shelter in this vehicle and you'd you know, close the door and you'd be nice and dry. And then one, one day somebody told you, you know, this thing can go. And look, there's, this is how it works. And you can push this button and it starts. Wow, this is amazing. I didn't know this. I can, I can move. I can travel. I can learn to drive this. And it's, it's not a terribly good illustration, but I'm trying to illustrate that sometimes having some information is all we need. And knowing that this power is available to us is just so important. It can make the difference. It can make all the difference. And so my prayer for you and my prayer for myself is that Jesus' resurrection won't just be a story that we read in John 20, but it will be the key to our life that we will know what it means for the power that raised Jesus from the dead to be available in us. Let me just read these verses again and then we're going to close in prayer. Paul prays that having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him 
at his right hand in the heavenly places. If you're following Jesus, you have his life in you. Notice that new life in you. And give it the choice. Privilege it so that that love and and that victory of his spirit will flow through into your actions. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you have ultimately defeated evil in the resurrection and your life is in us if we're followers of Jesus. We pray, Lord, you'll help us to live out that victory moment by moment in our lives and to know his power every day as we live a Christian life. Amen.